Do you want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily. It's called Spotify for Podcasters. It lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. You know I love that, and I promise you the other platforms don't offer that. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can also earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. I've been using Spotify for Podcasters from the very start. I highly recommend you give it a try. Just don't post on Monday. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Hey everyone, Gil Gross here, post-match. Arena Sabalenka versus Coco Goff, US Open 2023 final. If you're not here for spoilers, click off the video in three, two, one. Coco Goff is your US Open champion. She wins her first major, capping off the summer of Coco. She won DC, she won Cincinnati, she wins the US Open. It was an absolute United States hardcourt victory tour from Coco to start to finish at the 500 level, at the 1000 level, at the Grand Slam level. And at 19 years old, she has won her first major title, beating Sabalenka in three sets, come from behind. She lost the first set 6-2. I can kind of go on and on about how I, I feel about Coco and, and the journey that she's been on, but... I think what really stands out just upon reflecting on where she's at right now and following her career from the time she was 15 years old, thrust into the spotlight after making the fourth round of Wimbledon, and from that point on, there was a fair bit of expectation on her from the jump. And we see her age 15 through 19 have to deal with that. It is absolutely absurd how well she has dealt with everything. Like the head on her shoulders is the most special thing about her. And that is the that is precisely the reason that whatever was happening on the court, whatever was happening with her results, whatever the observations were of her game technically that me or anybody else happened to have, the reason it was always hard to panic, always hard to worry about what was going to happen with Coco Goff in the long-term future is through it all, you always knew that she had an unbelievable head on her shoulders, that she was already incredibly mature, that she was an unbelievable competitor, that she had a great support system when it comes to her family. Again, I can go on and on. I'm going to try not to ramble on about this. But look what happened when it comes to her family and her trust in them. Look what her dad did earlier this year. A lot of tennis parents think that think that they are the only ones who and and I get it. Like they raise their children, their children become professional tennis players and they think that they are the ones that are making it happen and they are the ones that are going to continue to make it happen. But how about Corey Goff Sr. with Coco earlier this year deciding, you know what? I'm actually not the guy 
I've been the guy this whole time, and I've taken you this far. It's my time. It's my time to step away. It's time for other people to come in. Not a lot of tennis parents are able to do that. That's the reality of it. It's very unique that his ego, lack thereof, allows him to to recognize that. And then new people come in for Coco, Pere Riba, Brad Gilbert, and and Coco buys in immediately. She buys into to everything they are kind of trying to adjust with her, which was, by the way, mostly mental. Let's talk about the match. Pretty simple. Pretty simple tennis match. Sometimes it's not complicated. I'll start with the first set and what I think shifted for for Coco. Goff, who I guess was nervous, or but but maybe she said she wasn't nervous, so I thought she was nervous. Maybe not. Maybe it was just she was getting rushed, didn't have a feel for the ball, wasn't confident yet, wasn't comfortable yet. Whatever the reason, her depth was really bad early on. And she was serving she was serving the ball up for Sabalenka on a silver platter over and over again. It wasn't that she was being too defensive, right? I don't think it's an aggression problem, and I'm going to push back against this entire narrative for the match because I I I did see that I did hear that on the on the broadcast. With all due respect, I I disagree that Goff was was less aggressive in the beginning and then got more aggressive in the end. To me, that's just not what it was. It was about it was about the quality of the ball striking, and in the first set, everything was shallow and central. And then from there, Sabalenka could, of course, step in and use her power, use all of her might. And she was getting the forced errors, and sometimes the winners, but a lot of the the forced errors that she needed uh, from from Goff by by just rushing her forehand and using power right through the court. Right through. So she wasn't hitting past Coco's speed, which she would find it increasingly difficult to do. But I don't think she was doing that in the first set. She was hitting it through Goff, and Coco wasn't able to absorb it because her her feet were getting static on the forehand. And as a result, she was catching the ball outside of her strike zone, and she didn't have anything kind of going through the shot other than her arm. And basically, her forehand was being destabilized by Sabalenka's power. That's what was happening in the first set. What changed when Coco got some confidence and started striking the ball better was mainly just her depth and her ability to absorb Sabalenka's power when she was just hitting straight through the baseline. You get what I mean by through the baseline? What I'm saying is is what Sabalenka is doing, yes, she's hitting it hard, but she's not using the width of the court. She's not using the geometry of the court. And in the first set, that didn't matter. She was still getting the desired result. But in the second set and the third set, she was not getting the desired result. Coco was able to to deflect that that kind of pace. So, you know, she moved back. Goff did, and maybe that helped her. She got the feet moving more on the forehand. She started swinging with more conviction. Depth and pace absorption turned it around. Now, what was Sabalenka's response to that? 
okay, like my, my pace isn't really working anymore. I'm not getting those easy finishes that I was in the first set. What was the response? I, I don't know. Hit it harder? I, I think that was the response. It almost seemed like in Sabalenka's head when her power was no longer forcing these errors as at, at a high rate. It was almost like Sabalenka was like, okay, I guess I need to hit it even harder, which was obviously not a great response. <laughs> um, really, she needed to, you know, pick her spots more, scale back. And, you know, I'll talk about some of the things that I think Sabalenka could have adjusted um, in a moment. But essentially, second and the third set, when Coco started to do those things better and Sabalenka didn't really have a response other than to just try to go bigger. Uh, that's where it kind of went off the rails and Sabalenka unforced errors and Coco's defense were were really the prevailing factors in the match. I thought uh, this tweet from Abigail really summed it up super, super well. I couldn't have said it better, so I want to read it. Um, she said, a collapse from Sabalenka from 6-2-15-40 fittingly began with a miscued forehand, but Goff's pathway to triumph was always to encourage a collapse. Rose in the face of Sabalenka freezing to pave a pathway for the freefall. Yeah, I think that's well said. Once the depth was there, once the absorption was there, once the speed locked in, it was, it was just about letting Sabalenka miss. And miss she did. So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media, source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. It was Goff's speed that that really stood out in this match. It was a truly dominant, it is a truly dominant level of court coverage. You're not going to finish points, even if you're Sabalenka, apparently. You're not going to finish points in one shot. It's going to take two. It's going to take three. Uh, it, it's going to take a certain point construction. It might take opening up space with angles. It might take a volley. It might take a well-timed drop shot. It's just not going to be easy. And by the way, also defensively, I want to add that when Goff swings with conviction, she usually does achieve a lot of height and a lot of spin. It's very hard to attack. So she supports her speed with the way she hits the ball. I don't think that's maybe emphasized enough, including on the forehand. She supports her speed by remaining unattackable with her height and her spin. It's a lot of topspin she gets on that forehand. It's a good asset. And on the other side of the net, the Sabalenka forehand was truly a loose cannon. Zero reliability. You know, not that the backhand was a model of consistency, but it usually wasn't the culprit here. It was, again, more, more Sabalenka's forehand just completely going off the rails in the error department. I don't think that Arena had nearly enough focus on, on width to open up space. She had her usual 
issues with footwork and balance, which let's face it, you know, all players have balls where the footwork isn't perfect or the balance isn't perfect. But the difference with Sabalenka is in those moments, she's still trying to crush the ball. And that is one of the things that leads to so many unforced errors. Uh, Because of her increased emphasis on power as the match went on, she was missing long a lot when Coco was in position. Just blasting balls beyond the baseline. And I thought that was her most common miss. Again, when Coco was beginning to absorb her power, I just think her brain went to a place where she was like, I need to hit it even harder. And that's why she was missing so much long. Lastly, too predictable on attacking balls going to Coco's forehand. There were some sitter balls where Coco knew that Sabalenka was just going to bludgeon it to her forehand. So Coco was there. She was able to get it back. Because Sabalenka was hitting from inside the court, she would end up at net. She's not a clinical finisher on the volleys. And then Coco would would be able to scramble and hit passing shots. Another thing that Sabalenka could have done better was hit behind Coco. She got too predictable hitting into the open court. And when you have a player who's as fast as Goff, so, so speedy in a straight line, it's a it's always better. You always take away the speed a little bit more when you deliver the ball right where it came from. Hit behind the speedy opponent. At the end of the day, you can't do one or the other over and over again. You have to mix it up. But for Sabalenka, it it did seem like the change of directions were quite obvious in terms of when they were going to come. And Goff's anticipation was on point. And when, when you look at a lot of the rallies where it was like, oh my God, Sabalenka... It seemed like she hit four winners in that point, and Goff just kept getting it back. Make no mistake, it's Goff's speed, but it's also anticipating the ball correctly on Coco's side of the net. Sabalenka's serve was un- was unable to bail her out. Uh, her first serve percentage went down every single set. 56% in the first, 52% in the second, 43% in the third set. So really bad day in terms of first serve percentage as well. Uh, Closing thoughts on Sabalenka. For all of her improvements this year, it still feels like she has a way to go. Her game continues. You continue to get the sense that her game is subject to collapse under pressure. That when the plan A is not there, nothing else is really going to happen. There's not going to be any adjustment. And everything is always full speed no matter what. Even when the footwork or the balance is imperfect. Or in this case, even when she's playing an opponent who whose defense and absorption and speed is going to be way too good to just blast right through. Not going to happen. For Coco, really happy for her for a multitude of reasons. Her her game is is clearly in a place where where she's gotten to herself you know she's she's putting so she's putting so much hard work to to improve herself to this point. Um, it's been not easy, not fast for her. Very unconventional progression where it was almost like when she first got there, it was why aren't you improving fast enough? Not fast enough? Not fast enough? Because she was so good so quickly, and then this summer, boom, she just kind of rockets up faster than I think anybody could have predicted. It just goes to show you that development is rarely in a straight line. It is not always kind of a cookie cutter how you think it's going to go. 
but it's all about mostly professionalism, willpower, desire, good people around you, a little bit of raw talent, which Coco never lacked. And it's going to happen for you with all those things. It happened for Coco. Congratulations to uh, her and her fans, if you, you Coco Golf fans out there. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see where she goes from here. Man, interesting season on the WTA Tour, huh? Hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to subscribe. I'll see you next time. Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean not a cellar. the mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. It's a mini yeah. fridge. New episodes of Fly on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcasts.